Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. My name is Dulta Daherde, and in this podcast series, I will be interviewing investors, advisors, and entrepreneurs who have set up, scaled, and operated world-class recruitment businesses. Today, I'm speaking to Carl Thomas. He's the director and co-founder of Envision Talent, their boutique IT recruitment agency based out of Melbourne and Sydney. He's from the UK. He's been in the industry for a while. He came from S3 and is alumni of that amazing cohort of recruiters who went on to set up their own recruitment businesses. Um, We had a great chat about his journey and what brought him to Australia from the UK, how he managed to partner with someone to set up his own recruitment business and how that's gone from strength to strength. Um, great company, uh, great uh, great guest, really enjoyed having the conversation with them. I learned quite a bit. They're using some great technologies. Um, and, uh, and yeah, hope you all enjoy the episode. Over to Carl. Carl Thomas, how are you? Very well, how are you? I am absolutely wonderful. I love being at work where I don't have to deal with two kids under two. (laughs) I wish I could just stay in the office the whole time and just just speak about recruitment all the time and uh, and not have to change nappies all the time and uh, interrupt my work. But anyway, this isn't about me. This is about you. Thanks for coming on the podcast um, for, I suppose, as an introduction, could you kind of tell us, firstly, who you, are, who you are, what you do, and then we'll go into how you got into recruitment. Sure, no problem at all. So I am the co-founder and director of an agency called Envision Talent, which is an Australian recruitment agency that specializes in the IT sector, specifically Salesforce, uh, marketing automation, technology sales, and infrastructure. Uh, We've been going for five years. I'm currently in London, uh, visiting the London office, and talking to you on a podcast. Okay, awesome. Um, So we will go into your current company because it, it sounds real interesting what you're recruiting for and I'm, I'm keen to hear what type of things you're putting into practice that are sales automation for recruitment uh, but we can jump into all that a little later um how did you manage to get into recruitment did you always dream of being a recruiter uh not necessarily although i do have a family connection my brother was a specialist recruiter so i knew what it was about uh i had a job at the Royal Bank of Scotland after university and what I found in my job as a banker is that I was not particularly keen on having A, B, C and D before I could get my job done and one of my friends said to me, look, why don't you look at recruitment? You control your own destiny, you can make some good money and you're quite good with people. So quite, quite- Quite good at that time. Quite good, yeah. Just good, a, and, just good I've enough with people. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm still even after nine years in Australia, I've still got the understatement <laughs> of Englishman. Um, but yes, I, I I I moved. I had about five interviews at the time with various companies, and I was picked up by Madison Black, which was one of the S3 brands uh, back in 2003, and that's where I started. All right, so 2003, uh, IT recruitment. I'm taking it, and. Um, what was it all? Yep. What was it all about back then? Was it all high fiving and uh, aggressive sales calls and and the likes? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was as boiler room as you can make it, um, in a good way. I think we had ninety percent of our intake gone within the first year. Um, so yeah, it was probably no wonder I actually managed to end up as rookie of the year because there wasn't many of us left from the initial intake. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was it was definitely high fives and, and shirt pockets being ripped off if if you actually had a shirt pocket. Love on. it, love it. Um, mm. I remember being in, in in a room when I started, and I used to take a sadistic pleasure when one of the other new joiners didn't make it. And I used to be, I used to think, there's one more person that didn't make it. I'm going to strive on. Did uh, did did you find that when you were when you were winning that award? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, I think it's, we had a very strong group of people at Madison Black at the time. So we were referred to as the, the gold. Today, we've got several of us that have started up our own companies. Um, uh, Toby Babb from Harrington Star and uh, uh, Tim Davey. Uh, started up his own business. Uh, Simon Greening is now a director of Bullhorn, the Asia Pacific. Uh, Adam Smith is over at Lawrence Harvey as one of their senior people. So we we all all that remained were were absolutely superb. We've uh, we've had Toby Babb on the on the podcast already, so it. Uh, he, he went through a lot, a lot of those early days. It sounded like it was, uh, it, it just sounded like an incredible, incredible room to be a part of. And um, what, what do you think it, it, what do you think is in the water with S3 that creates entrepreneurs from recruiters? Uh, it's a really good question. So a lot of the companies I interviewed for had a very collaborative style whereas in s3 it really is a sink or swim and those who do swim um really build their marks the managerial style of s3 is to is to make you believe that you are building your business which you are um you absolutely aren't they very much sell the story sell the dream bring you on the journey and build you up that way as opposed to a more collaborative you know, team commission, matey matey type style. Yeah, uh, I, I suppose the, the team commission, matey matey type style is is Walters and Page traditionally. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a product of that environment, and um, you, you soon uh, you, you soon get behind the the, the collaborative curtain and uh, every man for themselves within a year of uh, of of being in those <laughs> environments too. Um, you were with S3 for five years. How, why did you stay so long in in your first recruitment job? What, like that? That that's a in in recruitment years. That's mm. that's exceptional, right? 
yeah, I was pretty much, um, yeah, I was pretty much like the guy broke out the Shawshank Redemption, wasn't I? I just stayed there and stayed there. But there's people who've had tenures at Esprit far longer than me. Why did I stay there? Um, I had cracking management. I enjoyed my job. I enjoyed my team, and they did pay good commission. All right, the base salaries were were terrible, but um, you know, you didn't know any better at that time. And I, I enjoyed my job. And after you kept getting successful and successful, and you know, you thrived on it. Um, yeah, I was twenty. What was I? Twenty, twenty-six years old, and I was driving around a BMW three series around the city. Okay. Um, burnt, burnt the clutch out within a year, but that get for driving second, third, and fourth all the time. Yeah. Uh, so you were you were living it up a little bit. Um, yes. February two thousand and nine, you left. Mm. Talk, talk to me about what it was like when that when you heard the the recession was coming. Did you see it coming? Mm. What was that yeah. process like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was probably one of the last people to make a placement in Lehman Brothers before it actually collapsed. I'd go to the German office, which Madison Black was was going to open up, and I'd started even learning German to that point. Um, but I still wanted to work abroad, so I spoke to a, a rec-to-rec guy. You've got a proven track record of billings, so I said, fine, let's uh, let's go for that. Um, sorry, you just cut out a little bit. So you you were planning on you were planning on on, on going to Germany with Madison Black, and a rec-to-rec approached you, got you a few interviews abroad, and. You 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 decided on Australia. Why Australia? So so Carol, why why Australia? What what was it that uh, grabbed you uh, down under, as opposed to any of the other locations? I suppose the re- the usual reasons um, is exotic, far flung place, uh, English speaking. I'd heard the market was quite good over there. You had advantages, things like laffer, taxation. Um, I quite like my my Anglo culture, so it wasn't too far removed from what I'd had before. Explain what laffer uh, is for anybody who'd be listening who didn't have the privilege uh, that we did. Yes, absolutely. So the living away from home allowance was a deduction that was put in on your salary to the amount of rent that you paid over the month. So effectively, you were getting a rent-free income. Which meant pimping apartments, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you had some people carrying out some crazy, crazy stuff over there because of the, the extra income that they got purely from that tax break. Yeah, I had a I had an apartment that had a had a pool downstairs, um, had a gym downstairs, a pool table, all the works, um, and all my colleagues did as well. Yeah, it was just I I suppose catching it at the right time was pretty incredible. And um, w- which city did you go to at at, the, at first? So initially, I went to Sydney. Uh, I worked for a company called Apex Resource Solutions, which were bought by. Michael Bailey Associates in 2012, I think. Um, and I started working for them in 2009. Okay. Um, so it's, it's still the recession 
there. But Australia kind of avoided the the GFC as they call it, didn't they? Well, it hasn't had a it hasn't had a recession since 1992, so it's a very benign business environment. I mean, I'm no economist, so you have to ask them why. But yeah, they they haven't had a recession for many a decade now. The the the, the economist answer to that is that they give everybody a thousand dollars to buy a television, and that kept, <laughs> yeah. and that kept spending going throughout the through throughout those years. And yeah, that's what that's what the government would want you to believe, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> uh, I think it might have actually been a Mal- Malcolm Turnbull initiative. Um, so, so you uh, you went you're you're still a young young chap at this stage. What what, what age are you when you landed in Australia? So I was about twenty eight from memory. Twenty eight in your prime, and mm. you've you've got five years experience, which is probably four years more than most of the other UK recruiters in the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. Why did you choose Apex Resources? Having come from the monster, the daddy of them all, S3, why why go for a little a little, a little brand that that you know just that, that doesn't ring any bells with me? Well, it's interesting you say that. So when you say the monster that is S3, it, it's probably not quite right because although it's a large company, it's still a holding company for many a brand. And you've got to remember that the S3 brands, one of the reasons they have been successful is that they do compete against each other. So whilst you're still part of a, a major PLC, you're still working for a boutique. And I liked working for a boutique. I still like working for a boutique. And Apex was the kind of company that suited me down to the ground. It wasn't built. It wasn't there. You know, you didn't have too many rules and processes in place. You could get along with your desk. You could bill your money. Uh, and make some good commissions because the boutique agencies always pay better commission. Wait, you just said S3 was a boutique. Um, I'm saying S3, the multi-brand strategy that S3 sure. had, so they had real resource in um, Huxley. Because now those mini brands are, are all majors, right? Massive, yeah, yeah so absolutely. You, so, okay. Um, how would you define a boutique, just out of curiosity? It's a, it's a word that's thrown around a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think there's two there's two points to it. It's got to be numbers and it's got to be specialism. Uh, you can definitely define a, a general agency if you have more than, say, four or five specialisms. Uh, and then you stop being boutique, I would say, by over 25 people. But that also depends on the country and the market that you're working. Okay. There's no real answer to it, though, is there? It's... No, I wouldn't say so. I mean, what I'm saying there are probably very rough guidelines. There was a there's a great article written during the week about uh, future you. I don't mm. know if you uh, yeah I've read it. Have you read I it? I did read it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it's quite spectacular. But the premise of that was that super boutiques were going to be the next big thing. But the outcome of the article, in case anybody wants to read it, was that they didn't keep an eye on their cost basis, yeah. and as a result, the tried and trusted S three model is probably something that is more proven to work. Um, what, was, there any, was there any differences in terms of process of moving to a company like Apex Resources? And you were in a product-driven London hard-selling environment to maybe potentially a more relaxed environment in, in Australia back then? Yeah, def- definitely. And it worked out for me because I went over there as your atypical 
London recruiter, on the phone all the time, glued to my ear, sell, 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 get it done, get it done. Why haven't you interviewed my candidate? And they don't within like that. Six, <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. And I sat down with head of SAP Australia and he said, look, I like you, so I'm going to use you, but you need to stop being so full on um, and expecting everything, you know, as if it happens yesterday. So I did temper my, my approach over time. And I'd recommend anyone that's making that move from London to Australia uh, to heed that. Uh, not, not to slow down in terms of making your money and making your activity and keeping your numbers up, but certainly... Yeah, they they definitely look towards a, a more relationship approach over there, and you have to realize that pretty quickly to make yourself a success. Yeah, well, it's when I'm dealing with candidates that want to move over there. Like, it's great to get a, a good salesy candidate that, that's going through all this, but I really have to hit home that they might have to take a breath and get to know the person before, like, offer something up before they can actually push for the sale. Um, and the most important thing when you're choosing a recruitment business, I believe, is whoever the director or manager you'll be working with is, do they have enough relationships in the marketplace? Because it takes a little while, although it isn't, although it's a good, fruitful market, Australia, in my experience mm. and, and what I've seen from doing Rec Direct as well, it takes a while to build up that credibility and those relationships. It can almost be a year before you're really ready to rock if you don't if your manager doesn't have all those relationships was that a, did you find that as a similar uh, a similar experience or or do you find that these days whenever you're yeah. when you're hiring yeah absolutely and i say to all of my 360 recruiters when you first start it will take you a year to build up your market you need to know your candidates inside out that is an absolute because it's a still a very small market in australia uh, in terms of numbers. So you need to know your candidates inside out. The second year will be building. You'll get some good billings in, but nothing spectacular. And your third year is where it really takes off. And you'll be sitting back, waiting for the phone to ring and with all your inbound leads rather than going out there and chasing business all the time. Mm-hmm. I remember I, rem- I remember getting in trouble at Walters. I used to just sit at my desk in my third year. And I, <laughs> I put a ton of fake meetings in. And I just sit at my desk, speak to candidates, get them out to market. And, you know, and, and it worked and, and they kind of knew what I was up to, but, and they, but because I was the biggest filler in the room, they were like, okay, well, we'll just kind of let that <laughs> yeah. slide. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, but, you know, but you're sure as hell not training outcome. anybody else to do this. So. No, no. Well, anyone else, any of my competitors, I will, but yeah, for me, maybe not. Um, yeah. Um, so, so you did a couple of years at, 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 at a boutique there, um, you mentioned before when we were chatting that that you also you also had a, had a stint in Melbourne. Walk us through that process. Okay, so I was working in Sydney for Apex Resource Solutions, and they wanted to open up a Melbourne office. Mm-hmm. So I sort of put my hand up, I suppose, but also they wanted me to go down there to set it up. So off I went with one of the directors of the business, and I set up the Melbourne office. I'd been living in Sydney for three years. I fancied a change. Um, by then I was, you know, I'd had some good billions under my belt and I had a decent client base in Melbourne. I think I'd done quite a lot of contract work with Oracle, um, which is a big IT software company mm-hmm. and headed off down there uh, to set up the Melbourne office. And that was, that was the reason. So you were doing ERP recruitment in, uh, yeah. in, in that, was that meaning contract, was it? Mainly contract. So ERP and CRM, um, 
I was doing a lot of Siebel back in the day, which eventually led us into Salesforce, which is what Envision was built on. But yeah. And um, so this was like, as you had a pretty stock standard senior recruitment role at S3 for years, you've moved country, like instead of going down the management track, you move country, you're kind of starting again with uh, with Apex. This is your first kind of big step up in terms of getting into a leadership position. What were your key lessons learned in terms of like, like what just from the experience in general? Like, did you did you learn anything from from hiring people or from 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 building that business out a bit? Oh yeah, I learned so much. I mean, I learned how not to run a business was probably the most important lesson. All so right. pick us through those that, things. That, well, that business unfortunately got into trouble with the uh, taxation office. Um, and I was across a fair bit of it. And the one thing I realized, and you've already pointed to future you as a business is just, you've got to be absolutely draconian with your finances. Um, you can never let go of a control and spending. You just need to be spot on with the whole thing. Um, that was a big, a big lesson. Um, we hired some, or the, uh, the director hired some pretty terrible people in Melbourne. Uh, for one reason or another, was he trying to and, buy relationships? Yeah, it was people that didn't have a rec to rec fee attached to them. You know, it looks good on the CV, but within five minutes, you could pretty much. Well, as a senior recruiter, I saw through some of these people pretty much straight away. And but by that time, you know, it was top heavy with management staff. No one was really bringing in income, and that coupled with the taxation issues meant that from a potentially a very promising business, I believe it was sold for a song to Michael Bailey. Good. And that move, ultimately, did that, did that, did that hit your confidence a little bit, being part of that setup where things weren't done, done right? Did, like, what, yeah. what, was your, what was your headspace like at that moment? Well, I'd, I'd left them in December, and at that time I was considering a move back to the UK. Um, but then I thought to myself, well, hang on, I'm not quite done here yet. I'd built up a really good client base, um, really good candidate relationships. And I sat to myself and I thought, okay, what do I do now? Do I go back home or do I, do I carry on? So I, I did a bunch of interviews with a, a bunch of recruitment companies. And I came to the conclusion at that time that it's probably time for me to start my own thing. And that's why I went away and did. And... How did you go about that? Did you have your citizenship at this stage? Like, what was your biggest challenges at that point? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> I was on a four-five-seven visa with a thirty-day leave the country. So, what I did, I, uh, I went onto a student visa and I did this absolutely terrible course. I think it was called Business Management Certificate Four, and one of the lessons in it was how to file filing papers in a cabinet. <laughs> um, yeah, filing papers and cabinets don't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah no, they don't. For the younger generation, there used to be a receptacle that we put papers in. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was on my student visa, working my twenty hours a week, and I got my first contract on within six weeks. And I just picked up the phone and called everyone like crazy, created a business name. And just went for it. And within six weeks, my uh, income after rent and food went from $100 a week to $200 a week because I placed a contract to a toll group. 
and so so there wasn't a term like you were you were essentially winging it at this stage absolutely at what point did this become serious well I ran my own business for a year and a half, and my now. And is this sorry? Is this back in Sydney or is this in Melbourne? Sorry, this is in Melbourne after Apex Resource Solutions. Yeah. Okay. So when did it become serious? Probably when Sam and I got together a year and a half later. So with my business, I had about fourteen contractors out. Sam had predominantly a perm business, and we were working in the same market. So we got together and said, look, this is silly. We're working against each other. We work well together. And that's when we started up Envision Talent. And how did you know, how did you know Sam? What was, what, what was the contact there? Uh, I met him in Sydney. He's a, he's a Kiwi. And he was working for a company called Census, which is the equivalent of British Telecom, uh, punting out sales calls on the dialer. And I said to him, oh, why don't you look at recruitment? And he started Apex Resource Solutions as well. Uh, just before I moved to Melbourne and he left Apex Resource Solutions maybe three months after I did and set up his own business as well. All right. So, so it's two of you. So have you got a serviced office? Have you got a brand? How do you, like, nope. what, walk us through those early stages. What, like, is this beans on toast from your bedroom? Uh, well, by the time we'd gotten together, we each had relatively successful individual businesses so it wasn't being what, what's, re- what's relatively post. successful oh, in terms of numbers i was probably earning i don't know about 200 a year okay um, 200, 200 aud yeah aud and sam was probably on the same sort of wicket so we sat down got together it's more around the process so we had a, a nascent business. He was in Sydney. I was in Melbourne. Uh, we didn't have offices. And w- the one big mistake I think we made initially is that we didn't outsource a lot of things like our contractor book or our finances, our accounts. So we tried to do a lot of the things ourselves. And what I would say to anyone now, so if you are going to go into business, make sure you outsource as much as possible and just focus on your core Big time. I, uh, I outsource everything. <laughs> um, so talk to me about, so, so you, you, had, you had the basis of a business. You have an income coming in. Um, when did you have enough money to start hiring people? And, and was that all organically funded still at that stage? Yeah, absolutely. Organically funded. Um, we've actually never taken investment into the company as of today but certainly what we did going forwards is we made a couple of hires we made a couple of bad hires i suppose so uh, there's one guy that we hired who did six months and we hired him from outside the industry and decided that recruitment wasn't for him um because when you're small you really do struggle to attract anyone yeah our first our first good hire i suppose if you want to put it like that uh, came along two years later, and he's now our principal consultant in our Sydney office. And he joined us because we were doing really well in this, at the time, small CRM system called Salesforce. And he was working for a large SAP agency, and he had no one to talk to about the wins that he was getting in Salesforce. So he came and joined us, and we forged forward together. 
What did you take from your time at S3? What did you leave behind when you were creating your vision of Envision? I think definitely the storytelling aspect of S3, so the management style. Um, I always remember <laughs> laughing a lot at Marcus and Toby's stories, and they're really genial people in a lot of ways, but they always had a good point to it. So they were never hitting you over the head with a stick, but they were telling you a story and, and showing you the way forwards that way, and that's what I try and do with my guys now. Mm. Um, can, can, can you give us an example of of what you mean by that it's kind of it's probably hard for somebody who hasn't experienced that yeah so i mean we'd get into the room on a weekly basis like most recruitment companies do and you know marcus would be talking about silver and gold miners anyone from those days that's listening to me now will completely understand what i'm saying and he's saying well guys look you're looking you're taking the the mining to the silver people and what you've got is gold in your hands and you know we'd be quick that kind of thing would go on along a lot on those lines and it would get us motivated and get us going to, to go into work next week and perform. And so, so you took the storytelling, but at the same stage, you, you identify as a boutique. So there must be some things from the Australian way that, that, that you've, that you've incorporated because I think out of all the markets that S3 is in, they, they haven't really dominated the Australian market as much as, as much as other uh, other markets that they have, what 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 type of things did you add to it? So there's a couple of things, and one we've already covered with the the relationship um, aspect. So you build your relationships over time. Uh, you know, you get into the local footy clubs, you get into the local cricket clubs, you sponsor the local teams. And certainly in Melbourne, they're all mad about sport. Um, but the other thing that we did at Envision, and we've done consistently well over the years, is that we've built up our talent community. So certainly within the Salesforce ecosystem, we sponsor events. We go to the meetups. We know our candidates know us pretty well. We know our candidates pretty well. We know six months before they're looking to move to a new job that they will be looking. Um, and in a candidate short market, that has proven to be very successful for us so you're part you're part you're part of the community um as as such and was it would you say that uh, being specific and being niche in what you do has been a real factor in your success yeah absolutely and you know going back to the s3 days whilst a lot of it was good and it's proven to be good because they're now you know obviously a, a big plc on the on the footsie but the relationship aspect was sometimes missing from the approach. It was all about making the sale, making the deal, making this happen. Whereas in Australia, it doesn't matter if you don't make the deal necessarily. You're not going to live and die because you've, you've missed out on one placement. But if you say to the client, look, I've had to think about this and I actually don't think this candidate is as good as we thought he might be, they'll respect you a lot more for that in the, in the future. And vice versa with a candidate and you're saying, look, I'm not sure about this job for you. How about we look at something else? And that goes a hell of a long way because people always remember that. You mentioned that uh, you made a couple of bad hires um, when you started your business. What type of a framework do you put in now to make sure that you're hiring the right type of people? Um, there's a three-step interview with us. So we have the initial telephone call with uh, a director, second uh, face-to-face with probably the team lead or another director. And the third is, is really a, 
a team lunch or a dinner or a trip to the pub with the, with the team of the office they're going to be working in. And out of those three interviews, I think we can pretty much glean, plus the reference checks, that we're not going to make a bad hire. And that's proven pretty successful. I don't think we've lost anyone that we haven't wanted to lose or hasn't headed home for homesickness reasons in well over a year now. What, what, what do you think? Why do you think that is? Like, what, what type of things are you putting into your work environment that, you know, like I think recruitment companies and as a rec rec, I, I come across this all the time. They struggle to differentiate themselves. What, what, what do you guys do to, to, to kind of encourage people to join you and to, to stand out from the thousands of other IT recruitment agencies out there? Who find your dog on S3? It's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, absolutely. Look, it's a really good question and there's no one answer. It's a, it's a mix of everything, isn't it? So the reason that people would join us, I would say they'd certainly look at us and consider us market leaders in our field. Mm-hmm. Um, and they stay on, I would think, because of the culture. Like, we don't pay the biggest base salaries in the market. Our commission's very good, but what we've got, we're very flexible at work. So, uh, for example, somebody came to me the other day and asked if they could work from home one day a week for six months um, while they're, they're fitting out their kitchen. So things like that, it's just, there's no problem. Uh, good incentives, days off on birthdays, uh, free gym membership. We all work off Apple Macs. Yeah, the technology we've got is second to none, in my opinion. Why is that? Um, what type of technology? So we use Cube 19, for an example. Uh, we use Bullhorn. We use Zero, And everything is completely interconnected as well. The big What's technological Cube 19 change, for? that is for our BI, uh, Business Intelligence Platform. So at the start of the quarter, so we do our commissions on quarters or our billings on quarter. I'll sit down with an individual consultant. I'll say, okay, what do you want to achieve over the next quarter? They'll say, right, I want to achieve, say, 100K in billings. Okay, fine. Let's work backwards on that. So we work backwards, and what we do, we put it into Cube19, this mm-hmm. BI platform, and that sits on their desktop, and everyone across the firm has got access to their stats, and they can see how they're tracking against their target. So they're KPIs that are put in place for them to achieve rather than a stick to, to beat people with. Wow, I'm having a look at it here online. It looks really good. Um, mm. Lots of our other clients, Investigo, Spencer Ogden, Rock Search. They all seem to be uh, using it as well, and um, that so that so that it's almost like an is it an industry standard KPIs or a, achievement based KPIs like KPIs are a dirty word, aren't they? How, how, how do you how do you best describe this? Um, definitely achievement based KPIs. Um, we don't really follow an industry standard because everyone's on a different path, right? So, mm. what I was doing in my first year of recruitment, I won't be doing in my third year of recruitment, as an example. Or if I've taken on a more of a managerial role, I wouldn't be expected to bill as much as somebody that's taken on a, a more of a billing role. No, that, that absolutely makes sense. Um, so, so you use that. What what type of technology do you use to keep ahead of your competitors with uh, with finding candidates? Or is is that not a problem because the marketplace is so small in Australia? Um, no, it is a problem. We, I don't think we'd have a business if it wasn't a problem because otherwise <laughs> clients would obviously do it themselves. Uh, 
so yes, it is a problem. So the things we're looking at now are Google for jobs, which I I firmly believe is going to be a, a LinkedIn killer. Um, oh, that that's and, big. That's that's fighting talk, eh? It, well, you know, I've, I've got a lot of time for LinkedIn and and good a platform as it is, but everything evolves. Mm-hmm. And Google for jobs is something that we're looking very closely at, and I think we're going to look to use that more in the coming years. And being a tech in, a tech agency, we're quite nerdy as well, so we're always looking at the next trend. So, for example, we've been using uh, Slack for the last yep. maybe three years now. I'm sure you're aware of it. Yeah, we use it as well. Um, yeah, absolutely superb tool for communication. But, yeah, certainly <clears throat> Google for Jobs, I think, will be the next big thing. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, and I'm not across it, but I, I'm, I'm in discussions of getting you know like the the marketplace is changing more and more and and i'm i'm focused in on doing these type of things with uh with people in our industry with the aim that i'm speaking to a guy called darren revel who's kind of the, the main the main recruitment website guy in uh in, who, who who does stuff for the agencies in the uk um and he's trying to develop a software or he has developed a software that integrates with what Google Jobs will do. So a lot of people will be presenting their clients, showcasing their clients on their main website um, to draw in candidates and then to consult with candidates as opposed to the traditional one of here's a magical job with a, a no-name client because we have a, we're heading towards a world of transparency. Or at least that's uh, that. those are the conversations that I've been having. And that links to Google for jobs and all the analytics that it's running off. So I think it, I think you could be right. I think, I think things will change dramatically with that. Yeah. I don't think it will ever replace the role of a recruiter, but no, it will certainly assist. It will certainly assist. Okay. So, um, where, what's next for the business world domination? Any, 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 are, are, are you, are you going to try and open up in the States like every, like everybody else is at the moment. Walk us through the master plan here. Take us on the Death Star. Okay, so Australia is relatively well, well built in terms of we've got, uh, say, 15 recruiters there. And what we want the guys to do now, the guys in the senior positions, we want them to build teams under them. Do we want to grow to... 20 plus people in Australia the answer is probably not the moment there's something called the valley of death where you get recruitment consultancies that sit between uh, 20 and 30 in terms of headcount numbers and when you get to that stage your, your profit can be down your costs increase exponentially so we're very wary of crossing that and the culture that we have within uh, Envision Australia at the moment is absolutely superb like it's an absolute pleasure going to work and just working with these people. So I'm happy with Australia at the moment. Obviously, as people become more successful in their desks, they'll want to hire under them. Uh, We're opening up uh, a New Zealand office at the start of October. So we've spotted a couple of good opportunities in New Zealand. Is that because your your partner's from New Zealand? Your business partner? No, no, no. That's that's because we've spotted a couple of business okay. opportunities over there. So it'd be me that's actually going to New Zealand, even though Sam's the Kiwi, um, because he likes he likes the sun and the Sydney beaches. All right. Um, yeah. So 
New Zealand will be a growth plan over the next 12 months, but the real focus for us at the moment will be London and growing that from a, a one-man operation into three or four people over the next year. So we've built a good base over here now. And one of the reasons that I'm over here at the moment is to lay out the recruitment plans for the next 12 months. And we're going to commence the hiring for that uh, from today. All right. Um, so that... Uh... That all, that all sounds really, really interesting. What, uh, so I suppose you're, you're, you're self-funded, you're organically growing, you're, you're, you're adding headcount in, right, in the right places. It, mm. Is it just staffing that's the key challenge now in finding the right people? Yeah, that's the predominant challenge. Um, because we are self-funded, we, you've got to be careful with everything as you grow and you don't want to overstretch yourself. Mm. Um, so yeah, that would be the main challenge is finding people. All right. Well, look, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, and, uh, I'm going to have a, a closer look at this cube 19 thing. So uh, it's always great to, to learn a little bit. Um, so you've already told everybody you're looking to hire people specifically in London, but, uh, I take it anybody who wants to go to Australia, you're sponsoring four, five, sevens. Yeah, we'd certainly be interested in speaking to anyone that um, that wants to have a chat to us, and we certainly can sponsor people. All right. Okay, great stuff. Um, thank you so much for coming on, and we will get this out to our audience today. Thank you very much for your time. Take care, Carl. All right. See you soon. Bye-bye. Well, massive thank you to Carol for coming on the podcast. Um, that Cube 19 he was on about the growth analytics for recruitment companies. Um, that sounds pretty cool. I might get a demo on that. Um, cool wee business that they have there. And Australia's still ticking along, you know. If you're interested in getting to Australia, it is tough. You either need five years recruitment experience or a degree and three years recruitment experience. You need to be good to get through the process. Now, it's not like the old days where you could just turn up with a paper bag on a work and holiday visa and it'll all be okay. You really need to be a good recruiter and have a decent track record and meet those basic visa requirements. The good news is, though, that they have to nearly pay you $100,000 on a base salary to get you sponsored, which is unbelievable that you could be in the north of england earning 25 grand and you could go to 100 aud all in the space of a few months so uh and that's not even to take into account what you'd make on commission so the opportunities are still great over there the market's still ticking along well so if you are interested hit me up we can have a conversation if i can't help you i'll point you in a direction of where you can do it yourself all right take care god bless we'll have some amazing guests on later in the week that's the second episode done uh, for today so we're going to keep them coming take care